0: everyone. Welcome to worship uh, this Sunday morning during the season of Lent as we approach Easter Sunday in just a few weeks. Uh, Let's prepare our hearts and minds now to worship God as we listen to the prelude. Join me now in the call to worship that's printed in the bulletin. We approach you boldly, gracious God, coming with Jesus. You know us thoroughly, the good and the bad in us. But we come with Jesus, knowing ourselves sons and daughters loved, not for our perfection, but for your love's sake. Knows us, judges, forgives us, and keeps us yours forever. God, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we come to you now and we seek to be in your presence. We come from many walks in life this past week, these past weeks, and we approach the coming of Easter, the coming of the good news, once again, that we can hear every day of our lives, but particularly at this time of year, that Christ is risen and that we are called to prepare ourselves now to hear that message fully in this season of Lent. We pray, God, that you will guide us and be with us, that we might be with other people, especially those in need, in our families, our friends around this world. We lift up people who, ha- who are on the prayer list, people who have left uh, prayer requests for us. We pray for them as well as you called us to be a people of prayer, people who hold up one another and who also live into our prayers with our words by actions of love and loving kindness and mercy. So God, meet us where we are, guide us to where we need to be and to be with whom we need to be and call us to our better selves. In this time of silent prayer, be with us now by your Holy Spirit. silence God's people say together. Amen. Let's pray together the prayer of preparation and confession that is printed here in the bulletin. Father, we do not keep true to you at all costs. We praise the sacrifice and triumph of Jesus, yet turn aside from the way of the cross. We pay lip service to ideals in the way human life should be but let the demands of every day divert us from real commitment. Father, we need you. We need all your spirit strength. We falter, we fall, we lose our way, but your presence renews our confidence day after day. Fulfill your purpose in us. Glorify your name in us as you have already in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, whether you're here in this sanctuary or you're watching us online or wherever you happen to find yourself any day of the week or any season of your life, the good news is that Jesus Christ loves you, forgives you, accepts you, and promises to be with you wherever you go. Receive that good news, pass it on, and be at peace.
1: welcome you to worship this day. Uh, And those who are watching on Facebook and later on uh, on the website, welcome as well. Uh, If you're on the inside aisle, you'll take the pew pad, sign yourself in, pass it on down. If you're a visitor, special welcome to you. There's a place on the pads there where you can give us your contact information uh, as well. We're going to start off with an announcement from uh, more ministries. John Wilson is here. And so John, come on up. Well, as you
2: well know, in a week, uh, 320 or so of your uh, fellow Piedmonters are headed south to join with our organization and a great work in Mexico. And it's my privilege to stand in front of you today to just say thank you. And hearing from Scott earlier this week, he, he made mention of this year uh, crossing the 400 families' lives changed over your history in serving with us. Um, And I can't begin to tell you what the impact of that is because we won't know it in our lifetime. One house is a generational change for a family. Um, And now you are on your way to helping more than 400. But more than that, it's coming together, people from this community, with very different people from the communities around Tijuana and uh, Tecate over the years. Um, And so I want to say thank you for not only being courageous and serving those who have a need, but truly understanding what it's like to love your neighbor. Uh, We look forward to uh, serving with you again, and then uh, really look forward to what you get to hear from the young people when they come back. Uh, Outside, if you want to get to know some of the families for whom we'll be building, there's there's a table that has 20 families and some information about them. So I would encourage you to stop by on your way out, uh, pick out a name, and say a prayer for that family and for the youth and the adults who get to be a part of changing their lives. Again, thank you on behalf of Amore Ministries for your long, long partnership and friendship.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we're so delighted to be able to have here with us today Dr. Martha Summers. Martha has worked uh, for 25 years in uh, the countries of Malawi, uh, Madagascar, the Congo, Kenya, and Africa. And she is here to share with us this day. And then tonight at 5 o'clock in the chapel, we'll be having the Piedmont Forum, which will be an opportunity for you to learn more about what the work is is like over there, the situation in Africa, to ask any questions. So we hope that you'll join us tonight at 5 o'clock for Dr. Martha Summers in the Piedmont Forum. Uh, There's an announcement also in there, Uh, many have been concerned about the cyclone and the flooding that has been happening in Mozambique, Malawi, and Zimbabwe. We are sending money through the Malawi Society of Medical Doctors, Uh, and if you would like to make a contribution to that, just put disaster relief. You can send the check in to us, you can drop it in the plate or send it in, and we'll be uh, sending money through that organization, uh, one that Martha recommends to us. Pick a party. Today is the deadline. If you're going to be doing a pick a party, there's a little form to fill out. There's a table outside. You can fill that out. All the money from those is going to our mission projects. Uh, and so we encourage you to do that on Thursday nights. There's the Journey Through Lent, a small group uh, discussion that Don is leading. Uh, we invite you to plug into that anytime. You'll see the notice there about our services. Uh, we have Monday, Thursday, we have a dinner and a service that night. We have Good Friday evening, and then of course three services on uh, Easter morning. The uh, Kids Club is having a Lenten food drive, and there's a barrel out there to give food. You can also give money, check donations to that as well. The, the Rosebud is celebrating a new birth, the grandson to Steve and Debbie Center, and we celebrate that and their family as well. Today we have an announcement, uh, from, uh, you should have received one of these this week. This is the from the Wallace and Mary Alexander Founders Circle, and it has to do with the bricks outside. Many of you have a brick already. If you would like to give one in honor of somebody else or if you don't have one, there's a little form that you can fill out here. It needs to be sent in. The actual deadline is going to be April 17th for the bricks and then in May we'll be having a ceremony uh, unveiling the new bricks and celebrating this all of this money goes it's a minimum $500 donation for a brick it goes to the endowment fund but the most important thing we want you to think about in terms of the endowment fund is estate planning and wills and here to tell, talk to us about that is Bob Coleman chair of the endowment investment committee
3: should share something with you. Um, My wife, Diane, doesn't let me speak in public anymore because of, you know, what happened the last time. Um, But uh, the Reverend McNabb knew that Diane couldn't be here this morning, and he's a powerful believer in the process of rehabilitation. So thank you, Bill. Um, You know, it's a little-known fact that in their giving lifetimes, Americans give more money to their churches than any other organization. It's a less well-known fact that in death, the church falls to number 10 on their list of organizations that they give to. And that's, if if the Piedmont Community Church is an example, it would probably be lower than than 10. But I have a solution for many of us today. Um, When contemplating death, we all turn our thoughts to our heirs. I've got two kids, four grandkids, and six direct heirs. I've got multiple neer to well nieces and nephews who wonder why I'm still here. Um, Diane has told me on any number of occasions, don't give tax advice. Uh, you're not an attorney, you're not a CPA, and you're going to get wrong. I'm just a retired gent telling stories. Um, But let's talk about how many people have IRAs here? IRAs, 401ks, lots is the answer. When I retired, my 401k was my largest asset. Um, And I'd like to talk about that for a second. Um, What happens? it's, It's true that you can do things to move your IRA to succeeding generations. But if you don't do that, what happens to it? The answer is when you die in the year of your death, your IRA, the entire bulk of it, the 401k, all of it, is treated by the IRS as ordinary income that year. And since that's often a large chunk of funds, you can you can proudly present yourself at the Pearly Gates paying the high bracket, which in California is forty percent federal and thirteen percent state. You're talking about fifty-three percent tax on your IRA, or 401k, and that's the good news. After that's paid, then the balance goes into your estate. Now the question is, what kind of estate tax are we going to have? Right now I know that the the, the free amount of, of estate that you can pass along to your heirs is relatively high, and the, tax, the state taxes are relatively low. I also know that every single Democratic politician, Democratic candidate for president. Uh, believes that you do not have the right to give the fruits of your labor to your children. Um, Donald Trump will not be the savior of our country for long. And when that comes to pass, change comes to pass, uh, taxes are going up. So let's do some math. So you've got $100, 100 cents in, in IRA or 401k. It gets taxed at 53%, that leaves 47%. It goes into estate taxes, and I think that'll be at least 50%. So now you're left with 23.5 cents on, on the dollar. I've got two kids, four grandkids, six, six direct, direct heirs, six in, into 23.5, around at 24. That's 4 cents on the dollar. So my IRA is going to go to my kids and heirs. Um, and 75 cents goes to pernicious politicians. Well, let's try something else. When you leave here today, go home, go to the kitchen table, take out a piece of paper, and write down in the event of my death, I direct that twenty percent of my IRA goes to the Piedmont Scouts, twenty five percent goes to the United Religions Initiative, which is you know world peace, and fifty five percent goes to the Piedmont Community Church Endowment Fund. Uh, if if we do that, you've just converted $4 cent dollars to your kids, to $100 cent dollars to an organization whose values you have supported forever and whose faith you believe in. Uh, the way I see it, folks, we can beat that. We can beat the tax man. And I ask you to think about that. And please, no one tell Diane I spoke this morning.
1: Summers has chosen for our text today the passage in, um, in Matthew where Jesus talks about doing good for the least of these, my brothers, the least of these. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he will place the sheep at his right hand, the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when do we see thee hungry and feed thee, or thirsty and give thee drink? And when do we see thee a stranger and welcome thee, or naked and clothe thee? When do we see thee sick or in prison and visit thee? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food, I was thirsty and you gave me no drink, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will answer, Lord, when did we see thee hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to thee? Then he will answer to them, truly I say it to you, as you did it not to one of the least of thee. You did it not to me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We have the Lord blessed to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. from Malawi. So 25 years ago, I went to to the end of a long dirt road and pulled into Mbangwini Hospital in rural Malawi, 200-bed hospital. And uh, there was uh, one doctor there, uh, one foreigner, Dr. Martha Summers. And uh, over the years, it's been my opportunity to see her and visit her over in Maguini, Coma Hospital, Ekwindeni, lots of different places where she's visited. She actually went and uh, moved to the Congo, but had to be evacuated because of the the political strife there, went to Madagascar, uh, and now we welcome her. Many of you have had a chance uh, to see her over in Malawi or here, and we're delighted to have her with us this day here. So, uh, Martha, you were raised in the Midwest, in a family of 13 children, in a Catholic family, 13 children, and, and here you are, a Presbyterian missionary. How did that happen?
4: Yeah, I'm not so sure. But, um, you know, when you're raised in a huge family, you're often, you learn how to, let's say, give and receive love from many people. You also, there's often a, a certain level of chaos. So when you are in a situation where, you know, maybe there's one or two doctors for 100,000 people, I think you've learned to kind of, like, organize chaos, you know, like there's an organized chaos. And so I think that was helpful. And then, you know, sometimes you don't get quite as much attention as, as you want or feel you should. So I think once I went to school, I got a lot of positive um, reinforcement from being a very good student. So that kind of led me toward being able to get scholarships and go to medical school, um, and also I loved science, so I got it, it, that good and well. Um, and then when I was in high school, there was a trip to go to Mexico, so I was able to go, and I was in I was in Mexico City, and there was many um, there were many people who were living on the streets, and there was a day when it was raining, and I I just felt like, you know, you couldn't do anything to help this situation and that I really wanted to develop skills that I could contribute to make situations, to make people's lives better, who were, you know, people who were living on the street or otherwise suffering. So that was when I decided to be a doctor, actually. That's great.
1: So, um, and all these years of service there, you also have had some personal obstacles had to overcome. Can you tell us about those?
4: Yeah, the, the toughest this last year has been breast cancer. So I had breast cancer first five years ago, and I talked to you after that. I was able to visit. and that time, I it was caught quite early, so I had a lumpectomy and a um, radiation. And then this last year, I was in Malawi, but still getting... Um, still getting mammograms by going to South Africa, and the breast cancer came back. So this last year, it went from a surgery which succeeded, but the wounds didn't heal for five months because of the radiation, and anyways, it's been a healing process since last June. So I very much thank all of you for your support and your prayers um, during this time, and I am cancer-free, and I'm swimming almost every day to try to get build up strength, and I should be able to go back to Malawi to say goodbye and everything um, next month. Um, It was really quite emotional for myself, but for also my friends at a coma when I was diagnosed and coming back for treatment. Because in Malawi, we don't really have cancer treatment yet for breast cancer. So many of my Malawian friends knew of a nurse where the cancer was caught early enough to go... To South Africa for treatment and come back, but almost everyone else, everyone that they knew who had breast cancer, had died of it. So it's just another thing of why we really try to join with our Malawian friends who are in advancing medical care in Malawi. Yes,
1: uh, so you're going back to Malawi next month uh, and then returning here, and there's a new chapter that you're starting. To tell us about that.
4: Yeah, so. You know, I'm getting I need more medical care than I did before, and I'm getting closer to retirement, and all of those, I mean, I have 10 more years, but things. So it's really time for me to go from full time living, working in Malawi, to living in the States and still being involved in the work. So I have this great opportunity at Marshall University, and I will be on their family medicine faculty, and part of my job will be to expand the connections that they already have with Malawi. And it was Marshall that sent me to Malawi initially. Well, first they sent me to Kenya, then they sent me to Malawi. And so to go back to West Virginia, where that's how I started to do international medicine, is is quite a blessing.
1: So um, give us a sense of what it's like to be a doctor in an African hospital. What are the types of illnesses and stuff that you see And then what's the role of of education also in training in
4: that? So for the diseases, you know, it's been highly communicable diseases. So, you know, we mean the malarias, the diarrheas, the um, pneumonias, and the populations that were most vulnerable, especially were our under five children. And then we had the AIDS epidemic. And AIDS is still a huge problem, but now a treatable disease. And we've Focused a lot on mothers and children because, like in Malawi, when I arrived, and much of the time we lost one woman per 100 births, and advances have made it so losing one woman per, let's say, two to three hundred births. And for our children under five, a similar thing that we were losing one child per four, one per five, and that's certainly half of that amount. So I think those were like our areas of, you know, basically. Um, diseases, including AIDS, and mothers and children. And then over the more recent years, the chronic diseases have risen. Um, Some of it is the populations have gone from living more rurally to living more urban. Some of it's diet, lifestyle, and some of it people are living longer. And so we have a system that has both of those going on. Um, some of the chronic diseases are harder more complicated like diabetes which is taken off and so at the same time thankfully in Malawi um, medical education has advanced amazingly um, when I went, was first at Mmreny we had no registered nurses. We had Denny had a nursing school but the nursing school was making nurse tech you know was producing nurse technicians that were lower than that well now we have nurses who have bachelors, who have masters, who are teaching within the country, and these same nursing schools have five times the amount of students. And then for medical schools, we didn't have a medical school in the country, and then when we had the first graduating class of 10 students, one of the doctors came here. So Dr. Alfred Perry came, and now there's 50 per year. and. So they are using the Mission Hospitals as the training sites. So the Mission Hospitals have become the clinical sites for that. So all of our, you know, you'll see for the pictures, there's, um, there's medical students that are getting training at M. Mangrani Hospital, at Equandenie Hospital, at Melange Hospital, and at Ecoma. And right now, Akoma is one of the two hospitals that does postgraduate training so we so one my big job went from more clinician to more teaching and and teaching medical students to teaching also postgraduate because um, we're following the WHO um, lead that basically most of your specialists should be generalist and countries that do that have the best outcomes so
1: the big thing in the news that we all heard about was few weeks ago was the cyclone that hit Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and Malawi, the uh, flooding. Uh, I know you've been in contact with folks there. Could you give us an update on that?
4: Yeah, so there was a huge amount of rain. So we already had some floods mainly in the southern region. And then the cyclone hit Mozambique. And the rains that followed that made it terrible flooding. So um, right now there's thousands of people who are displaced and living in tents. And um, one of the, the main great things going on medically is the Society of Medical Doctors of Malawi um, have organized for care for the for the people who are displaced in the tents as well as to prevent the spread of waterborne diseases like cholera. Um, and it's great to hear that and to actually get this news from um, like Bridget Malawesi, I knew as a, met as a student, worked when she was a new grad in the Family Medicine Department, and that these people who were so young are now the leaders. And they really have organized to help the problems in their own country through their profession and through their network.
1: So the the Malawian Society of Medical Doctors is the group that we are going to be sending the money uh, to. So if you would like to contribute to that just market disaster relief, we'll be sending a check from the church to the society. These are folks that Martha knows and has worked with uh, that are doing good work down there in the southern part of the country. In June, uh, Scott Cale is taking a group of our young people to uh, Malawi on a mission trip. Michael Barber and I are going to be going along with them to uh, create some videos and some documentaries about the work in Africa. We'll be visiting not only our sister church, Kafida but some of the mission projects that we have supported over the years. For example, one of them is a school for the blind. Um, And at this school for the blind, about a third of the students are blind because they are albinos. uh, When people are albinos, they often have uh, problems with their eyesight. And um, so can you talk a little bit about the situation in Africa with albinism? Yeah, I'm
4: going to speak mainly of Malawi, because that's where I know the most. So in Malawi, there is about ten thousand people with albinism, and um, you know, for almost all the the population and the families, when someone is born with albinism, they're welcomed in the family like any other child and cared for. Um, but we've had the huge challenge of eyesight as well as um, you know sensitivity to the sun. And so, like when I was at Equindeni, we um, for eyesight, we had in the regular primary school, we had a, a a program for all children who were blind that included albinism to be able to mainstream and to be able to um, you know teach and have people live more full lives. So it's always been a challenge, but what's been grown this last ten years, which um, is this you know this terrible targeting and murdering of people with albinism or like whether it's their bones grounded down or good charms. and and it's something that uh, you know they've actually lost 150 people with albinism in the last 10 years. It's a big it's a big issue right now and there's an election coming up and there's four candidates who are people living with albinism who are running for parliament um, and the, um, the the presidential race is like, how to tighten this up, and how to stop this, and how to really focus um, on this. And there was a, thankfully, a, uh, a protest with people with albinism and allies to press the the, um, the government to to increase the protect, protection.
1: So you know the text that we read spoke about the least of these, my brothers. It's hard to imagine. You know, if you're an orphan. You're blind. You're an albino, and you're hunted. It's hard to imagine anything more least than those. So thank you so much for, for your work. Uh, we'll be going there and uh, supporting the school in every way that we can. So all these years, Martha, you have lived as a single woman. Um, a lot of missionaries have families that they live in, uh, but you have thrived and enjoyed your life in Africa as a single person. Um,
4: how does that work for you? Lots of people take care of me, um, so there's a collage up, and you'll see one of the pictures. I'm with a number of other women, um, Malawian and also outside missionaries, and so I'm not alone in, in, in doing that. Um, and then there's another picture of Chimoywe and Linda Mahango, and they are my um, they are my honorary parents, even though I'm actually older than them. And then there's Reverend John John Gondway and his family, and he's my personal pastor for, well, you'll see the children, and it's before a child older than that was born. So they pray for me every day, and people actually will send him over to check on me if they think I need some pastoral counseling. And then you become part of a lot of families. There's a child hugging me, uh, Marita, which is Martha in, um, in, in Chichambuca, and so she's one of my, a namesake of mine, and so, and then there's the Charambos, who are my neighbors, and every place I live, let's just say that most of the time I eat dinner, I don't eat at home, and I am fed, so um, lots of people, it's a community that that happens, um, and also, you know, I'm part of a partnership with Presbyterian Church USA and a receiving Church so you're seen as a gift of that partnership and a gift that, you know, that should be cared for. So they've been caring for me. That's great. Last question. What do Americans need to know about life in Africa as you've experienced it? Yeah. I think you need to know that Africa is really vast, right? And so there's so much difference. So, yeah, so my experience would be, let's say, Eastern to Southern. Um And so, yes, one, it's really vast. two, there's so much beauty. Um, Three, that, you know, most things work most of the time. I mean, we have countries like Malawi that haven't really had violence since 67 independence. And then we have countries like Congo where, you know, there's been violence um, for its history. And then also, I think, knowing that what role, let's say... um, Strong countries or umpires play in that, in what happens in those places is important. I think probably the best thing is kind of like how your church does, and you go there, you invite people back. And then we are in a country where there's many Africans, so get to know people around you. And there was a beautiful movie that just came on Netflix, um, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. And I think, watch it.
1: It's a... uh, True story of a boy uh, in Malawi and and inventing a windmill, and it is—it's on Netflix. It's a great one. Um, Come tonight at five o'clock. You'll be able to ask questions. Martha has some more video that she's going to show. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Join me in the great thanksgiving printed in your bulletins. The Lord be with you. you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We join this day our voices with those who are forever in the presence of God singing. our great privilege on the first Sunday of the month to be able to gather here to celebrate communion together. In a minute, you'll be invited to come forward by the center aisle, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, participate in that way, and then return uh, by the side aisles to your seats. We are remembering this day, the last night of our Lord's life, when he gathered his apostles together in an upper room, and as they sat there, eating He took the bread that was before them, and he said, Take this and eat, for this is my body that is broken for you. And he took the cup that was there, and he said, Drink this, for this is the cup of salvation, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Let us join together and pray the prayer that our Lord taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to this, his table. It's the largest, most inclusive table in the world because everyone is welcome. It doesn't matter your age, your gender, your sexual orientation, your economic condition. Everyone is welcome at his table. So if you're here today and your heart is joyous, bring your joy and your gratitude to this table. If you're carrying a heavy burden. Jesus said, bring your burden to me and I'll give you a lighter one. So bring your burden to this table and leave it here. Jesus said, if, you come, if you're spiritually thirsty, come to me and I'll give you water and you'll never be spiritually thirsty again. Come and receive that water. of God for the people of God come for all things are ready. Yeah. on the patio following this service. Also tonight, 5 o'clock in the chapel. Brothers and sisters, remember as you leave here, you go forth as representatives and ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. So live your life this week in such a way that wherever you are, when people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand. And go in.